Martini Theatre on the Air is proud to present the man who would be Sherlock Holmes. Episode 1 My name is Wiggins, just Wiggins, and I made my living as a lad of nine, eleven years on a good day, on the streets of London. And it was there that I had the distinct pleasure of meeting up with a gentleman of no ordinary stature. And it was through this and many other subsequent relationships that I was able to piece together this seemingly implausible but yet 100% true story that is about to unfold between your very ears. As it all began on a dark and stormy winter's night in the north of England in the year of our Lord, 1881. As two men might their way through a misty burial ground guided by the amber glow of one small lantern, they are what is commonly known as grave robbers looking to apply their ghoulish trade as they come upon a large ivy-covered brick tomb where the name engraved above its gate reads, Holmes. Right, let's get this over with. Just outside the cemetery wall, a local policeman is making his rounds. Boy, what's all this then? Alright, this is her box right here. Alright, so it is. Let's just open it up and get on with it, shall we? Policeman, now well within the boneyard, nears a large four-wheeler harnessing two black horses, but with no driver. He then takes notice of a light jutting out from the open door of the home's mausoleum. Come on in. Give us a hand with a little lady. Blimey. She's just a bag of bones for Christ. So all we need to be doing is dropping that and then be explaining it to the professor. I'll be leaving that part of it up to you, I will. Let's get out of here. Right, you two. Drop what you've got there. And sit yourselves down. Now. Let's be good lads. No want no monkey business. 
Ah, Watson. How did the evening go? Rife with alcohol, womanizing, and fisticuffs, I would hope. You really have missed your calling, Holmes. Was that one of your own? Yes, it actually was. Composed while a lad of nine. As a gift. For a lady, I would hope. Some would label her as such, yes. Oh. Oh. You overextend yourself, my friend, disrobing for every shriveling bar rag within arm's reach so that they may gaze upon the scarlet residue of that now infamous Jezail bullet. Why, if I didn't consider you a friend, and above all else, an extremely reliable flatmate, I would thrash you within an inch of my wretched life for no more than two dull farthings. By the way, old man, you haven't by any chance seen my tobacco, have you? This is Wiggins. Just Wiggins. Checking back in to give you a brief elucidation as to what is going on here. This operetto plays itself out at 221 Baker Flat B on almost a weekly basis. Sherlock will always ask Watson... You haven't haven't by any chance seen my tobacco, tobacco, have you? To which Watson will sigh, reach below his chair and lift a Persian slipper from the floor and hand it to Holmes, who will take it and withdraw a small bag of tobacco from within it. On this particular occasion, though, Watson does one thing slightly different. He extricates from his somewhat fashionable vest pocket an army-issue dual-pocket watch compass and lays it on the table that separates him from the great detective. He then leans back in his chair to peruse the morning edition of the London Times. It's a shame I didn't get a good look at this before we met. Please, Holmes, not before breakfast. A watch immersed in combat during the second Afghan campaign, the owner of which saw brief but bloody combat and was sent home early due to severe illness. All right, then, pray. Do continue. The watch is in relatively good condition, hence not long in use, but several deeply ingrained remnants of raw opium around the crown state that the holder was entrenched with a numerous amount of wounded. Poppycock. Thus forcing him, after running out of conventional morphine, to use the pungent aphrodisiac indigenous to but a handful of regions around the world. All the dash. The most recent of which, to spark Her Majesty's interest, being... Afghanistan. Now... Army doctors are always in short supply, the physically wounded of which stay more often than return. Oh, really? So you mean No, to... you, my good fellow, came home because your head was not all there, a fact emboldened by the numerous dents and scratches upon the casing of the watch. Tommy rot. No, typhoid, commonplace in that part of the world, will sometimes induce its victim to perform habits of repetition. Yours being the withdrawal and use of your watch. The fever impairing your agility culminated in the continuous dropping of the timepiece. Army doctors are normally made up of a steely resolve, and therefore sure-handed, unless riddled with a debilitating ailment. Such was yours. That is, without a doubt, the most absurd postulation to ever spew forth from your ceaselessly twaddling lips. I had a similar timepiece as a child. I would time the trains around the bends of each and every curve encircling my father's estate. Really? How useful. Yes, Mrs. Hudson, won't you please show the good Inspector Lestrade in? Mr. Holmes... Inspector Lestrade, from Scotland Yard. Yeah, how... how did... I only took notice of the police carriage parked outside. Now, it would either be Lestrade or Gregson, the latter preferring, out of sheer embarrassment, to enlist my aid by post. A fundamental process of elimination. I do always enjoy your parlour games, Mr. Holmes. Shall I fetch you some tea, sir? That won't be necessary, ma'am. I won't be long, thank you. Really? Rushing back up north so soon, Inspector? Yes, on the Form 15, actually. How did you know that? Your boots are begrimed with a fresh emerald mire, that being limestone, native, quite specifically, to that vicinity in the north known as the Dales. I suppose this is one of those moments where I'm supposed to say something along the lines of, uh... I'm very impressed, Mr. Holmes. Don't be. I spent many a year in that part of the realm as a boy. 
my ancestral abode, one might say. I wasn't exactly in the Dales, but close enough. I was in Keithley. It seems there was a bit of nastiness in the cemetery thereabouts. A grave robbing it was. And I'm just here as a courtesy. And of course my duty as a public servant. I see. And could you please tell me who, or more precisely, whose remains were removed, if not all? It was your mother's, I'm sorry to say. My God, Holmes, I am quiet, Watson. Grave robbers can be a nuisance. Now, is that all, Inspector? I'm a very busy man. Yes, of course. And I would appreciate it if you'd keep out of this one, Mr. Holmes. You might take it a bit too close to heart, if there is one there, and I feel that it would be best left in the hands of the yard. Oh, come now, Lestrade. That would be like placing one's last banana into the waiting hands of a chimpanzee. Any interference on your part, Mr. Holmes, will not be taken lightly. Good day to you, gentlemen. Tell me, Watson, did you notice a peculiar odour that came and went with our intrepid friend? As a matter of fact, I do. Dissipating in haste, but still familiar to you, is it not? Why, yes. It smells like chloroform, and somewhat sulfuric. And where would one be most likely to find this vaporous bouquet? A medical examiner's office, I would suppose. Or more. Which tells me that there is a tad more to this particular crime than the good inspector was most inadequately leading us to believe. I also smell adventure, eh, Holmes? Tell me, how do you plan to get past the medical examiner? Inspector Gregson of Scotland Yard? Well, we just had a gentleman from Scotland Yard here this morning. And he gave specific instructions that no one... A tall, lanky man with a thin moustache and ferret-like features? Why, yes... That fits the man's description, yes. And he said that absolutely no one was to... That would be Inspector Lestrade. An incompetent horse's ass. Now, if you'd be so kind as to direct us to the body in question... Flaming torches shut out from the stone walls to illuminate an underground cave-like dwelling. As a garage door entry slowly closes by the aid of an heavy chain. The two grave robbers stand firm with their attention drawn to a wrinkly old codger of fine distinction. His name is Lawton Tobert, and his eyes are veiled by a pair of coal black spectacles that never leave his face. I'm disappointed, to say the least. Do you not find the wages adequate? No, it's not that, Mr. Tobert. The money's fine. Oh, no, 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 no. Not when it comes to murder, it ain't. Especially at being a copper and all. Now, we'll all dangle for this if we don't get out and get out now. From the flickering shadows of the torches, rising stealth-like directly behind the grave robbers, is a mammoth figure. A monster in human form. Seven feet tall with two sunken yellowy eyes that glare animal-like from behind a scarf, covering what would seem to be a face. His long, raven hair spindles out like the legs of a cockroach, turned flat upon his back in what little cat's paw the hollow will endow atop a china-white brow. That protrudes upward, akin to those you would find only in Dover. And with a single chest-heaving breath, the grave robbers freeze in absolute terror.
drawn and wasted man saunters into the light from the shadows. His gaunt features pronounce two ratful eyes swelling from within a time-worn skull. He is Professor James Moriarty. Aging well beyond his years. gallows be off, bait. Then please allow me to save the taxpayer a shilling. Martini Theatre on the Air would like to extend our warmest regards to you, our most sincere listener, for tuning in this evening. We would also like to take this moment to thank the Martini Theatre players whose tireless effort and patience made tonight's broadcast possible. They are as follows. The Dislayed, Victoria Turner, Kerry Lynn Weber, Toby Williams, Michael Northergut, Jim Dana-Tall, Timothy James Walsh, Stephen West, D.C. McCauley, Elmer V. Jackson, Robert Romeo Coates, Charles Waterman, and J.D. Booth. Martini Theatre would also like to thank Brian Conwell for his melodious introduction. The Man Who Would Be Sherlock Holmes was written and dramatized by Walter Barclay Campbell based upon the award-winning screenplay of the same name. Until next week, this is M-T-O-T-A signing off.